This is Akafe. Laura Marie and Jessica Marie proudly present A Court of Fandoms and Exploration, a podcast. Fair warning, everything the hosts say is explicit, full of spoilers and adult content and shall not be used against them. They have opinions. Let's try not to drag anyone for expressing themselves and just have fun for an hour. We all deserve it. There are no major spoilers in this episode outside of the Black Witch Chronicles, but there is mention of Akatar, Akasif from Blooded Ash, Air of Fire, and Six of Crows, as well as trigger warnings surrounding physical violence, suicide, domestic abuse, racism, and trauma. Hi, everybody, and welcome to A Court of Fandoms and Exploration, your weekly deep dive into the YA literature and fandoms that we love. I'm Laura Marie. And I'm Jessica Marie. And today we are discussing book three of the Black Witch Chronicles, The Shadow Wand by Lori Forrest. And let's say right off the bat, it is heavy. Heavy, but necessary. Just like The Handmaid's Tale. I think, and that's what I really like about this, that it's, and we just had this discussion like right before the episode is, I really like that this is YA, but that heaviness does not you wouldn't think that it would be YA but it's there's that importance because we're all affected oh yeah and not just affected but at the end of it you you kind of want to change the world like at the end of this book you're hyped you want to like tear down the government and start a revolution but not just it's not just the third book after the first book I felt that way when there was change after the second book I was like no now we really have to do it and then you keep seeing like what's happening to the world if there is not social change and social action and that's where we're at in this book so Jess you and I have not talked about this almost at all this week I Um, wonder why we started recording and like a minute after I was like okay I'm done (laughs) it's like when you have a an assignment due at midnight and you're turning it in at 11.59. So that's how I've been doing my reading lately. But it's made really, really fun, you know, initial reactions. And really good discussions and it's all fresh and, you know. Yeah. We're, 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 not, we're not hating it. We're not hating it. So just, no. t- just tell me, like, wh- what you got? Uh, I don't know where to start. Well, I like that we get new characters. I like that the characters are just, it's like... um they're thrown in there and they're going to drive more of the plot point later on. So they're not going to be completely, well, where is this going now? Because we have the fourth book coming out later this year in the fall. Um, so we know that those characters are going to be developed more and kind of keep moving the story forward. Um, it's all, like, I really, what I was really surprised at with Ellerin, I never expected her to be about, especially in the beginning of the book, you're, I I never expected her to be the person who was about the bigger picture because she was led by her emotions for so long. And I know that's a, that's a a regular criticism you and I have of being able to like, you can still be emotional and take a step back and be critical at the same time. And I think a lot of people feel like it has to be one or the other. And Ellerin realizes she can be emotional, but understand it's not just about her. Right. Even though on the surface, it kind of is just about her. I mean, that's that's the surface yeah. level, right? Like she, so Ellerin is the Black Witch, but she's 
you know, a million times more powerful than her grandmother. And we find that out uh, right away when she's wand tested in the desert and melts a horse. Whoa. <laughs> unexpected, unexpected. But um, her kiss with Yvonne grants her immunity to fire, which is pretty fucking cool and it's reminded throughout the book about like well why can you know if there would be like some kind of repercussions of some you know exertion of magic um they're like she's impervious to fire because of the wand uh not the wand fasting the wyvern mate but he's made it to her but she's not made it to him because she's not a, a, a dragon right and very interesting and we we'll get into this but Ellerin does wand fast to Lucas. E, we love Lucas. We love Lucas. We um, love Lucas. So, Jess, I remember very specifically um, in, when we were recording the Iron Flower, you were like, you know, Lucas, like, forced her. He, like, held her hands down and forced her to wand fast. Like, I don't know. I don't know. But we find out why he did that. And, whew, And it makes sense. And, you know, and I think we were, I think we had said, like, I don't know how I feel about him forcing her, but it had, he made, he made a comment. He goes, you have no idea what I just did. Like, and I was like, that's, that's gonna, that's alluding to something. So I didn't write him off completely. I knew I wasn't sold on Yvonne, but you know what I was thinking of? Because we find out early on that I'm not going to say he's dead because I think of our previous episodes where you're like, unless your the head is off, like there's, you're still coming back. Um, but this whole thing of, you know, she had, she currently th- believes that she does not have Yvonne and she's lost this one love, but you can still love again. It reminds me of Pearl Harbor where she thinks her, where she thinks Ben Affleck died, falls in love with Josh Hartnett, and then Ben comes back and then they're like some giant polyamorous relationship with the kid and the, and the marriage. And I don't know, I just, that was the, I, the whole time. I mean, we still don't know, but the whole book, I'm like, she's going to tell Lucas she loves him. And now Yvonne's going to come back and I'm going to be pissed because I love team Lucas. And that's just like, that's just like the relationship part. That's not like the depth of this book. And that's, this is another thing that I love that this is plot with some romance and not romance driven. And I think that's important to know. Oh my gosh. Is it ever? So if you're looking for like spice or something like. This is not the book for you. This is not the book. No. If if you want to watch a very, I feel realistic. I feel like Ellerin is realistic right? She's sheltered. She has this power. She, you know, is in denial for the first few books and then she realizes it and then she wants to use it. This book is a lot of, you know, I'm powerless and I want to fix that. I'm tired of being powerless. I want to take control of my life. And not just like powerless in a a mental way. Well, a little bit, not just powerless in a, in a physical way or like with with her magic or with her like actual physicality with training and everything just with her curiosity with the world very much like poppy where she when like she realizes what's going on she goes it's she wants to know more she wants to question things and she says that with lucas she goes it's not fair that you all keep making these jokes and i'm not in on it it's funny to you and she's like it's because you choose not to tell me and you choose not to tell me because i'm a woman like i think that like 
the the god the patriarchal society in this book it is it is uncomfortable because there's a lot of things that are that that are still happening, like the sealing ceremony when they're like sanguine because they want to make sure she's a virgin and like check the sheets that they're bloodied. Like, I just I wish I could say this is stuff of the past, but this is very, very heavily influenced in cultures today. And it's so uncomfortable. And as a woman, like if you're reading this and at, in my opinion, if at any point you're reading this and you're like, well, I see where they're coming from. You're part of the problem. Absolutely. You're part of the problem. You are part of the problem. And I don't like you. Absolutely. Because uh, I, w- I was talking to editor Sam about this and I was trying to explain the plot. He goes, oh, so they're Nazis with black hair and green eyes. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. they are. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad that he like, because we've been kind of, I don't want to say dancing around the subject, but we've kind of not, you know, I, I really don't want, we've just been sensitive to the topic because it is a very sensitive topic for a lot of people still, as it should be, I not to be glossed over. And I think it's funny with, especially in YA books and fantasy books, the second you kind of change the narrative or change the vision, people automatically don't make that assumption. Oh, it's different. No, it's it's exactly the same. Instead of blonde hair, blue eyes, it's black hair, green eyes. Like, it's just, it's just wild to me. Like, how do you not have a visceral response with what's going on in this world and then not translate it to the real world to be like, oh, wait, I've... You, I've kind of been in a hole my whole life, you know, if you're not making those connections. Well, and that's a perfect transition to start talking about some of these characters. So let's talk about somebody that we meet right away, first couple of chapters, and that is Taryn. Taryn Stone. Taryn Stone. I really like Taryn Stone. I think his introduction is, I'm going to say beautiful. I, I say it is just really something to see. Like he's been indoctrinated in this religion. He's part of the like super strict sect. He's got the white bird on black on his military uniform. And he is like pumped to go out and murder Faye, right? Like that is his holy purpose, his holy charge. And then he gets there and, and sees- the that has And the Faye that has been- like the picture of what Faye is painted for for him as he's grown up. That's what it is. He's like, these are the Faye. They're terrible people. This is what they do. Bah, bah, bah. So all he thinks is from, like you said, being ingrained his entire life is Faye are bad. These are, they're, they're, they are the enemies. Like unfailingly loyal to this system that has, that has groomed him. Yep. And then his his first time out in the military, he is asked to murder babies, old people, teenagers, women, uh, children, like not warriors, just completely people who cannot help themselves. And he has a breakdown right there. And he, you know, steps in front of Damien Bain, which is, you know, Damien piece of shit steps in front of him he's you can't do this you can't do this and he connects with one of the because they're they're dryads they're tree fae so we know that they are you know sort of related the gardenarians and the dryads share mm-hmm. ancestry that's why they both glow green um and he he can't do it and then uh so then taryn gets shipped back home his parents 
go crazy. They try to perform an exorcism. They he's in his he's in a spiraling suicidal depression um, because he's having the, he's having the nightmares. He keeps seeing the images over and over again. He can't believe he was forced to do that. He can't believe this is he's like this isn't what I signed up for, and it, it's terrible and. I, I just you 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 hurt for him because he's reliving this trauma on a regular basis and nobody is even I don't want to say they're not making the, the connection. They don't care. They don't understand why he's so affected. And that's telling for the society that we're being exposed to. Exactly. They can just, you know, be completely blase about murdering this other species. And uh, it's, it's disgusting. But uh, we know that Taryn has a very lovely relationship with Sparrow. And Sparrow, from previous books, was the dressmaker that uh, got in trouble. And she got shipped off to the Puran Islands, which is another kind of handmaid's thing. Um, in my head, it's like, you know, when they go to the colonies. Right. It, yeah, the work colonies. It's like kind of the same horrible thing. And I imagine it that way too, because they talk about how that island is basically, is just like, again, slave labor, you know, making the clothes or just digging around for nothing. It's just, that's how I like, even from a a visual appearance, like I imagine it that dreary. Absolutely. And then she escapes, she escapes with, oh, what's his name? F- Efri. Efri. She escapes with Efri and, and a sweet little white dragon. And the important part that I think when I think of that scene is she starts to see the, the shimmer of the barrier, right? Garnaria is literally putting up a runic border so that nobody can come in and out. And so they can keep their society like pure. They're building a wall. They're building a wall and they they're are building a wall and they're deporting everybody that isn't Gardnerian, like at the end of the year or whatever. Huh? Yeah. Shocking. Wow. <laughs> wow. I've never heard of this in politics ever. This exists. Yeah. Crazy. Uh, so we know then that Taryn gets um, demoted and stripped of rank and he ends up with Lucas and everyone's like, oh, you're going to Lucas Gray. He's going to like beat the shit out of you. He doesn't tolerate any of this. And of course, we know He'll whip you into shape like yeah. and we know on the backside, we're like, oh, this is the safest place he could go to right now. Yes. But Lucas. he has but he has this exterior um perception that he needs to keep up for other people to 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 keep that yeah and taryn isn't just like a fuck all mage right he's a level five he's he's top of the top he's powerful so he and lucas together are you know a a force to be reckoned with and lucas even acknowledges like you know there's four elemental lines of these you have earth wind fire wit yeah earth wind fire water and light Oh, light. Mm-hmm. But Taryn has the two that yeah, that is basically not uh, Lucas's forte. And he's mm-hmm. like, we are a formidable force if we come together. Yeah, and it's, it, it's like, pretty fantastic. Oh, my gosh. Um, Sparrow, of course, uh, again, there's no fucking fan art 
really. There's just a few scattered images. And I want to see beautiful Sparrow with her purple skin and violet hair. And oh. and there's like all, just even even the skin. Like I want to see the shimmering emerald skin and the shimmering lavender skin and the and the blue of tyranny um, as she's like part of her being back with her water fae. Um, I, I want to see it all. And even just like Ellerin's dresses that her, her aunt creates. Um, I think we talked about this the, and we'll put it in the show notes. There's an artist who did this beautiful rendition of uh, Nesta's court of uh, court of nightmares dress where, and she's like holding the silver flame. And it's just, you see that if you see some of the videos, like there's shimmer in the art. And I just imagine if she did one of one, let alone like all of her Yule ball gown dresses, like how I, I just, I can, I can see it on paper. I just am not artistic. <laughs> well, Ellen's dress something that I found really similar to Poppy from For Blood and Ash is when Hawk teases Poppy about wearing better shoes. And then when Ellerin is in that ruby dress, um, she is very smart and realizes that when she's being attacked by Fallon, that Fallon can't run in the shoes that she's wearing. So Ellerin kicks off her shoes and, you know, gives chase pretty much as fair, um, you know. Terrifying. That whole, like, I, I don't know how you vision, envisioned it. I I just imagine like dark oak, like dark mm-hmm. wood everywhere and like ton- not tunnels, but like narrow hallways, like this giant palace because it is the council meeting ball. Like I just it's very glamorous, but very old. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I just terrifying. I'm, you know, Fallon wants is chasing after her because. We know by this book that Ellerin is married to Lucas. Fallon had a thing for Lucas, still has a thing for Lucas. And again, once again, in the patriarchal society, well, this patriarchal society, if the husband were to die, Ellerin could never remarry. However, if Ellerin dies, Lucas can remarry. Lucas is free. Yes. And Fallon knows this. So she, um, she's basically on, uh, has a mission is out to kill Ellerin. Um, and it's why, and her brothers are involved. And let's keep in mind, one of her brothers, Damien, was supposed to be one fasted to Ellerin. And now she's, he's one fasted to her friend, Aislin, who was in love with a lupine. And Damien is also the commander who told, uh, Taryn. <laughs> Taryn, thank you. <laughs> I was gonna, um, to, to, to kill the dryad. So like, the the Banes are not kind people. They are evil. Yes. They are sadists. They are very much. You know what it kind of he kind they kind of remind me of Karen in Throne of Glass. Karen, oh, Karen, like just Karen. that. Yeah. yeah, Karen. Especially with some of the things that um, Damon Damien would say um, when he finally when he corners Ellerin before his sister, he's like, "I'm going to punish you," and he's completely alluding to trigger warning, um, sexual assault, and raping Ellerin. And she's like, "I'm I'm married. I'm Lucas's. You can't do that." Like everything she's saying, all the things, and he's like, "Well, you need to be punished." Like as if that that was, and it just it 
Oh, it was, I'm like my heart, my heart's racing again, just like talking about it. And that's acceptable. That's acceptable in this society of having to quote unquote, fix her. You need to like, make sure she obeys you. However, however means necessary. And that's uh, like, and you know, the worst part is like, people do think this, even if it's not a societal belief, like there are individuals who truly believe this is what I need to do. uh, Well, and let's not forget who egged egged everybody on to do this. You know, Fallon and Damien. It was Lucas's mother. Yeah. Lucas's mother orchestrated all of this. And she is. I mean, you want to talk about shitty mother-in-laws. God, I cannot imagine just she she's terrifying. I, I like I get angry at Aunt Vivian. I am scared of Lucas's mom. So, wow. Well, I mean, she's not only is she super honest, which, okay, like, I get, I I mean, I don't get because I don't have a kid um, about wanting to be protective of your son and obviously not knowing the whole story that we know and not liking your your daughter-in-law or son-in-law. I understand that. However, to, to literally set up these ploys to be like, I... If it were you, Fallon, I would totally give you my blessing with my son. And Sparrow, we find out, is one of um, Ellerin's ladies-in-waiting as she's at the Gray Estate. And Sparrow's the one who's like, look, Lucas's mom and another E name, Evelyn. Evelyn is Lucas's mom. Evelyn and Fallon, they met up, avoid Fallon because if you know, you know. And this is, and you know, and Lucas finds out that everything basically and like almost kills Damien. Yeah, he beats the um, shit out of him. He sends And just him, keeps going. Absolutely. Yeah. I was like, go, Lucas. Yes. That's, and then when he stops and then he keeps going again, I was like, can someone do this for me? That's so sexy. Well, he takes Damien out for the rest of the book. Like, Damien's done he's incapacitated they're like and all they said was i think at one point they told lucas they're like you're stripped of his your command but we know from book one he gets stripped from his command for a couple days all the time so it doesn't even matter he's like okay yeah he's like whatever it's fine (laughs) okay so my favorite part in this book my favorite part in this book and i say favorite it's the it's the the ceiling ceremony through their escape, that chunk, oh. that whole chunk, because we get the horror of the the ceremony, we get the horror of the the ceiling, and then we get the the lovely honesty between Lucas and Ellerin, um, you know, before they consummate, and then mm-hmm. we have the horror of the breakfast the morning after, and then the escape, and then the attack, and the attack is something. Again, I've said it before, that would, if done right, look stunning on screen. I would love this series, this book series, as a TV series. You know how sometimes you could read books and you're like, okay, that could be a movie. We don't, we could cut a lot of stuff out. This, I feel like every single part is like, it's an integral part of the story building of it. You know, like each book right now could totally be a series. I know we always say like lean towards HBO, um, but I think Netflix could do this. I mean, if you could do Shadow and Bone, you could, this would blow Shadow and Bone out. Of, like I'm almost frustrated 
that we have Shadow and Bone into when into you have a something Netflix. like this. It's good. And knowing and it's you know how certain things you see and you're like you're not sure how it would play well with the audience just because of I, I don't want to say timeliness, but how how comfortable people are about watching things like being called out on their shit. And I feel like because we have Handmaid's Tale, that's kind of helped us be like, look, if you like Handmaid's Tale, you're gonna it's Handmaid's Tale with magic. Yeah. Cause it, it more or less is, you know. There, I mean, there's a whole magic system, but and there's different races, and oh god, there, there's, there's just so much. Um, let's talk about the ceremony, of the sealing ceremony. The, yeah, the sealing ceremony that they have to do. Um, Ellerin finally gets to wear a color that isn't black, right? She's in dark green. Mm. She's got makeup on. She's got red lips. She's got coal on her eyes. And uh, Lucas, you know, is kind of the same thing. And He's in like to, a green tux or something, like yeah, a green suit. In front of the entire like mage council, every, you know, all the government officials, right? They're all there because this is a big deal. This is the Black Witch bloodline and the Grey bloodline, you know, coming together, whatever. Um, they have to go through and Lucas does like air and fire. And he does all the elements. And then they bring out a little tree. And Ellerin, during this process, her magic is, um, I'm going to say... We know by this point, she she's in tune with the, I don't want to say woodland creatures, but trees, you yeah, know, wood, trees. like various woods and mm-hmm. plants. Not so much plants, but trees. Trees. Like the wood, yeah. And, and Vogel is there and he's using his shadow wand and he does something to to Ellerin and Lucas and their power, he kind of like sparks something, and uh, there's it's part of the ceremony. For yeah. This at this point, it's just part of the ceremony. It's not this thing that he went out of his way for, right? Right, because he is a zealot and he follows the Book of the Ancients to the letter. So mm-hmm. you know, there's rules there, and he and he he does he follows them, and. The tree that he brings out, though, is kind of like a test to Ellerin. So he knows that that tree is there's like a dryad spirit inside of that tree. And he knows that Ellerin knows. And when Lucas kills the tree and sets it on fire, Vogel's watching Ellerin to see if she does anything like, OK, are you, is, is this it? He's trying to like test his like suspicion because he's already suspicious of like, how is she the black wit? How is she like? related to the black witch but we haven't she hasn't used any power we haven't seen anything we haven't we haven't seen anything but he's also like i feel something there you know and right now there's like this this he's they're trying to just write it off of well you know of course there's something there she comes from the black witch so maybe it just skipped ellerin and will go to their their kin you know when they have kids right oh god just disgusting um so then after after this this ceremony, everyone, Ellerin has to deal with, as you mentioned earlier, all of the jokes, all of the, the bloody, bloody the sheets jokes. And um, Ellerin, of course, as a woman in the society, has no idea about sex. Her aunt is supposed to tell her. And her aunt says, basically, <sighs> I hope he beats you bloody. Like, hot damn. Yeah, she's like, I'm. So this is the part that I'm supposed to tell you, like what your wedding night's supposed to be like. And goes, I want you to be beaten. I want you to be terrified. I hope that you have no idea what's coming. And also, like, t- 
terrifying because she really doesn't know what it entails. I mean, when she is, you know, doing her little makeout sessions with with Lucas or Ivan or Yvonne, um, she's just like, you know, her 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 hormones are kind of kind of leading everything. So poor girl, like poor girl to just be completely blinded about that. But then we get the really great scene with Lucas in the bedroom. And, you know, right away we find out that Lucas not only is a rebel, but like he's deep in the rebellion. He is mixing all sorts of different runic systems, which how cool is I loved like the I want to see mix. it. Yeah, because like and they're like, they're you know, they're teasing about it, but it's you're not supposed to cross over your magic with other um quote unquote species and everything's like Gardenerian with Rune and Gardenerian with like Vutrin and like he's like kinda they're making their own magic to just be that much stronger. And I love because you know that that'll tie in later in the book too. I just I want to see it. I want to see that. And of course the runes all glow certain colors and the different runes are, you know, some are purple, some are blue. It's just it's just fantastic. And then, of course, because Lucas and Ellerin cannot lie to each other, um, it, it's all out on the table there. And it's like, yes, communication. Yes. I, I like the trope of they cannot lie to each other. It's one you don't see very often. I was going to say, I didn't know it was a trope, but I really like it. And you know what I really like about it? Because sometimes Ellerin tries to be, it reminds me of an Elfheim, you know, where Jude will she knows she can lie or Cardin will say like he he cannot lie so they kind of start evading some truths or omitting truths or like within Vivi she's like yeah I, I said we had to take a fairy <laughs> like different type of fairy but I really like that even though they can't even if they try to dance around it because they're so connected they're like uh-huh what else what else? What you know? And I really, I really like that. And she just kind of gives into it too. You know, I really do like that. She's like, you know what? I have to be honest because nothing's going to, nothing. There, there is going to be no um, movement in moving forward and having to defend myself to the people I care about if I if I don't trust one person. And it's not just trust, right? She she lays everything out and he does too and and not just like who she is and what she's doing and you know who her friends are but uh how she feels which is great lucas i'm nervous lucas i'm scared i don't know what to expect no one told me i'm angry it's like her feminism kind of rises to the surface it's like yes ellerin tell him because yeah because she he created that it it was in a he created that space where she finally felt comfortable to say, I, I don't know these things. It's not fair. It's not right. I I have questions. Um, just everything about their vulnerability with each other. And you see it every time um, they're, you know, I don't want to say that they're, they're being intimate, um, but in those moments where it is just them and they can just kind of drown the world out for even five minutes, like you think it, it helps them in the relationship, not just as edit in like not just the relationship with themselves, but like relationships that they have to work outside of them, like outside of like what they have going on too. Absolutely. 
And Lucas, I think, is trying really hard to put Ellerin at ease, right? Because Ellerin asks for spirits. She she wants to get wasted, right? She's like, I, I'm so nervous. I want to get wasted. And Lucas doesn't do that. He's like, mm. no, I no, these I'm going to get you some wine, but it's relaxing wine. You're not going to get drunk. This is I don't want that for you. And you really don't want that either. Right. So he gives her some tree liquor um, to calm her down and just relax her. Of course, she loves that. And he has the the special oil in case, <laughs> which I thought was really sweet. I thought it was sweet. <laughs> and then, and then, of course, Jess, your favorite, your favorite trope, the where he was like, "I want." It's not my favorite. I mean, I just love any trope. But when he's when he's like, "I want to taste the wine off your lips." <laughs> oh, that's not like, what I was talking about. But yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> oh wait, the one bed trope. No, not the one bed trope because they're married. They're married. Wait, no, I don't know because I really do love the kiss. I was like, can somebody, somebody do that to me? <laughs> well, Ellerin doesn't, or um, like the the Chandra route. Oh yeah, but what I initially thought was that he was taking it, and then I later realized that she's the one who's been taking it. Mm-hmm. Which yep. is, like. That actually made more like once I kept reading. Um, so the Sandra root is like the is the contraceptive in this world. Um, but I really thought he was taking it the whole time, and I was like, "Yeah, men take the, the make take the birth control." But then, as I realized, it was she's been taking it, and I go, "Well, that makes more sense because Gardener, there's no way Gardenerians Gardenerians could be shooting blanks, and they would still be like, oh, the woman's infertile." Yeah. Exactly. And it's it's also like he provides it, right? And uh he travels with it when when they have to flee, he has like a little piece of it. And also something that I found really refreshing is that towards the end of the book, they're out, right? They don't have any more yeah. Shanja root and and he says like no. If I had it right now, we'd yeah. be like all up in it. <laughs> He's like I'd take you against this wall if I, if we had it, but but we don't, and and now is not the time, right? Like for like a pregnancy. He literally is like, I'm not gonna do the pullout method with you just yeah. because I'm horny, right? And and yeah, and you know we talk about our strong <laughs> female characters, and then the babies, but and, and this one just like stops it dead. It's like I like that. No. I yeah, I, you know, and I love it. I like that they're at a level where they can tease, like he can be like playful and teasing her, and she's like, "But what happens when we get to like he, you know what happens in this next step in our journey?" Like she's like going back, like you know they they were just like having like a heavy session against the rock wall or whatever it was in the woods, and she's like, "But okay, like what happens when we get to this town?" And he's like, "We're gonna find a lot of Sanjuru." And she's like, no, I'm serious. Like little things like that, I think are so cute. Or even before they were going to consummate and he's going to like get, she's trying to get drunk and he's like, I'm going to get you wine. And he's telling, and she's like, I just really need a lot of alcohol. And he's like, not with, not with me. I was like, oh, <laughs> because he likes powerful women. Like, right. Like yeah. that's what he said. And he said that he has never, and she's like, you know, deflowered a lot of virgins and he's affronted. He's like, no. No, I haven't. I would never like fuck with the cult of virginity that is Gardneria. Just I, I'm doing all of this other rebellion stuff. I'm not gonna even fucking deal with that. Right. So and and he, you know, he sleeps with warriors and you know strong ass women. And one of my favorite lines that he says is like, 
um, to Eller and he goes, you know, you could start by learning how to dominate me. It's like, oh, look at this. <laughs> this is like Dorian all over again. Yeah. Oh, I love it. And, <laughs> uh, um, you know, we've alluded to it. There's a mild amount of spice in this book, just the bare minimum sexy spice in this book. There's some fade to blacks, though, too. Like there was mm-hmm. one night where she it wasn't to consummate. She was just like. I really want to. And then it faded to black. And then after she, you know, and then she would allude like the next day, she would be like talking about her mind wandering to being entangled with him the night before. Like they literally, she was exhausted because last night they really didn't get much sleep, but there wasn't like a ton of spice. Like no. it was, really, it was like crown of midnight, maybe. I think a so. More. Yeah. And also like, I didn't, I didn't need it. Right. Like that is isn't. it's not what the book is about. Like, yes, I'm I'm very happy. I'm happy for them uh, because they can't lie to each other and they do love each other at the end of this, which I love. Like Ellerin says, like, I love you. And he says, I love you. And they can't lie. And and it's lovely. Right. I love that they love each other. And I love that she like she knows it even because of their their lines. Um, that are intertwined together. And she's like, even though he doesn't say it, I know, I feel it, I feel it. And then during one of the training montages in this book, um, she's just like having an emotional breakdown. She's like, what do you want from me? I don't want to be this weapon. Like she just feels like she's being used right now, even though that's not what this is. She was just like having an emotional moment of weakness. And he comes out from like wherever he was, you know, throwing blasts, you know, but lasting powers at her. And he's just like, is this what you need to hear? Because I do. And you know, it's true because we can't lie to each other. Like I, there is no, but he goes, and because I love you, I need you to be able to protect yourself. I can't do this without you. And I need to know that wherever you go, that it's going to, you're going to be able to handle it. And that's why we're doing this. And I think that's another thing that's so powerful. It's very much like Castile with Poppy. He's like, I want to protect you, but I not only do I need to know that you could protect yourself, you need to believe and you need to, you need to believe in yourself and you need to know that you're able to do it as well. We love strong, powerful men who love their strong, powerful, significant others. Oh, yes. God. And Lucas. Okay. One of the reasons that I really like Lucas is because Lucas has never sugarcoated anything with Ellerin. He has always been very direct and very like Ellerin, snap the fuck out of it. Grow up. There is a bigger picture here and you have to deal with it. Right. Like and I I like that. And I was thinking just myself because nobody else has read these books. uh, It's. (laughs) It's similar to an Aelin Rowan situation, but it's also not, right? Because when Ellerin is doing her training, because she does she does flee, right? Um, we'll go back to it. But Ellerin and uh, Lucas do escape Gardneria, and they are in the desert, and they are training, and there's a, a very long training montage. Um, but he, he says, like, why did you just sit here and cower? Stand up, fight. You can fight. You're not weak. I've never like believed that you are weak. You have to to do something. And he but it's coming from he loves her. He's always loved her and it's it's never not the love has never not been there on his part. 
Right. Um, so it's he's, it's, love, he's, he's, and you find out, like he said, I've loved you since the moment I saw you. Like right. he just knew. Uh, but he's also very hard on her. So it's kind of like Rowan and Aelin, but different because Rowan didn't love Aelin. We know this. Aelin didn't love uh, Rowan. And Aelin was aware of her power, right? And she was also afraid of it, kind of, in, in Air of Fire. Like she- and I also feel like with with this, Lucas has kind of that disclaimer because he's also working with Velasco when he, they're doing their training montages. And, you know, and he says, like, we're going to be hard on you. This is, you know, and it, because not only do we, because you need to be, it's time is of the essence. And you find out that every morning she's getting woken up with ice cold water. And then she finds out that that's how the warriors wake up because you need to be able to on a dime, even if you're uncomfortable, you're ready to go. And it's how you're reacting to certain situations. So there's also like, even with part of the training, there's never a, I'm going to do this because I'm, I want to. There's a reason behind everything. And Ellerin knows. It's not like she's blind to it. She knows that she's being woken up by this because of this. She knows that she'll get like a sneak attack. To, so she's always on her toes. Um, and so it's not, so she's not completely blind to how she's being treated. And she knows she, and she knows it's coming from a place of love also. Right. And it's also this, this training montage happens because the trees, um, we find out in the beginning of this book that there's a prophecy, right? And all of the the prophecies are scribed from trees. And the trees are terrified of Ellerin because they remember uh, Carnissa and her power. And the trees have, over the course of this book, tied Ellerin's lines into knots so that if she goes to use her wand, it will like double back on her and she will oh, yeah. be killed. Right. Yeah. Like, like when they, um, they did, I, I don't know why I forgot to that. I mean, it's so important because she went to go blast her power out. The trees turned it back on her. So now the power is only internalized. And that's why she was like, why did I see fire everywhere? And everybody from the outside was like, because you were on fire. And the, again, the only reason she survived is because of her be because she was Yvonne's dragon like bonded yeah Yeah. bonded so she had like basically dragon elemental lines within her that helped her um be able to survive the fire right so Ellen doesn't like she has access to her magic but she doesn't because the trees have turned against her and she um is now being trained in runic weapons and she's very proficient and she has like marks on her hands and stuff that, you know, recall the blades and she uh, learns. And what I also like about this is there's a specific timeline, right? They're out in the desert for like what? Over a month. They say like 40, 45 days. She's mm-hmm. out there for a while. They give a specific time. And she says like... um, I'm tired. Everything hurts. My brain hurts. I'm trying to learn all of these systems. And then at the end, she um, attacks Lucas and Velasca in a sparring match and she beats them. Right. You know, and uh, everyone is like, hey, Ellerin, good job. You know, you you did it. You did it. Um, I want to go back and talk about the attack on Lucas's house. Yeah, because the attack happened after the escape. 
Yes. Yes. So uh, Ellerin and Lucas, after the horrifying breakfast where they're all in red to symbolize her like virgin blood, it's disgusting. It's disgusting. And Lucas knows it's disgusting and Ellerin knows it's disgusting and they're all on the same page it's there. It's so awkward too. Like I remember when I was younger, I would always like when we would talk about like, oh, you know, especially like in a Hispanic household, I'd be like, I'm not going to have sex my when I get married, like not that first night, because I don't want everybody thinking that I'm doing something. And I just, I, it was just so uncomfortable. So I would let that, that idea, I mean, that, that ship has sailed. I don't have to worry about that now, but, but I just remember thinking, I was like, I don't want to be doing something they think I'm doing like so awkward. Well, and the breakfast is to, to prove it. They have to hold up their hands so that the, the, they can confirm the ceiling marks. Both of them have to, and there's no way around it. Could you imagine if that was at your, like, your, your brunch? Oh my God. Awkward. Horrific. Uh, so Lucas and Ellerin are horrified by this whole situation, but they have planned a very elaborate escape. Uh, but Vogel is kind of on to them. So Vogel uh, sends guards with them to to go. And Lucas tries to, tries to like, are you sure? Like, that's not what the book says or that's not what, right. you know, that's not what our religion says. We don't need to. We have to do it by ourselves. Mm-hmm. And Lucas, you know, thinking on his feet, they they came up with a plan in the morning. So Lucas um you know, they're there trying to, to do the ash tree or whatever. They've got the guards, but they need to get away. So Lucas starts to like force himself. You know, this is all play acting. Everybody's oh. in on it. He tries to like force himself on Ellerin so that the guards will like turn away and kind of give them a little bit of privacy. And it works. They're like, we're going to, we're going to use the, the prejudice against women and the societal expectations of a man and a woman against them. And they do successfully. I do. I love that they're. You, I, I think they're just so smart when they, I, I don't want to say calculating, but in a way it's very calculated um, with how the strategy that they're using. I really, I do appreciate that. Um, again, I, it's just, it, it's a nice surprise. And of course, like the society, it, you know, just the things that he would say in that, oh, do I need to do I do I need to treat you the way I treated you last night? This is what I want, and you're going to give it to me now. Like, Ugh. it's Ugh. It, it anger. It angers. Like Lucas doesn't anger me. The society, I, the society yeah. infuriates me. So they do. So Lucas murders all those guards. Right, just bam, done. And they do escape. But as they're escaping, there is a an enormous attack. On Lucas's house from um, the Vutrin. Right. Now, the Vutrin are after, like, I'm just saying this for whoever's listening. The Vutrin are after Ellerin because they know that Ellerin is the Black Witch. And she's, they basically have a decree out that she, they need, she needs to be killed. Right. And there's also a group of assassins against her, too. Like, like it's the, assa- yeah, it's, it isn't the assassins like a, like a sect of the Vutrin or is yeah. it in addition to the Vutrin? It's like a sect of it. So it's like okay. the, the military is coming after her and also the rest of, you know, because it's a it's a multi-pronged attack. It's right. not just Lucas's house. They they get the, the council room and they, they, they get other places, the ports um, uh-huh. too. 
but the assassins also are very specifically after Ellerin. Right. Um, okay. So there are explosions in Lucas's house as they're escaping, and we find out that Lucas's entire family is killed. The entire mage council is killed and all of the high ranking society members that were there, they're all dead. Right. And then and you can see it on screen. They uh, Lori Frost or Lori Forrest describes it as like uh, Marcus Vogel is like walking out of, you know, and there's like dust and debris everywhere. And he's got his wand and there's like shadows and everything is kind of gray. And he's like sucking the life out of everything where he walks and he like sends out a search uh, spell to get Ellerin and Lucas like dives on top of her uh, to, to save it and everything. And I can, I can see it. I can see I it can on see screen. It. I even see, I, I see like where their, where their vantage point is. Cause mm-hmm. in my head, they're at, like at this, they're that at this higher vantage point and they're looking back and they just see the, everything. They just see it in, 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 ashes and i think that's also a good moment to just show like lucas's vulnerability and she's like i'm so sorry that was your whole family where like ellerin was telling lucas and because she's like yeah her aunt was there but she didn't care about her aunt like she's still like looking for her brothers and lucas goes do you mourn your aunt and she goes no and he goes all right then like same i know my family was shitty i just happened to be the non-shitty person of them Right. So when we're talking about politics, uh, the entire government has been destroyed now. And um, so except for Marcus Vogel, who so so Lucas is even saying, like, no surprise here. He's he appointed himself as dictator. Yeah, there was no argument from anybody whatsoever. So now Marcus Vogel is a dictator and he has weapons, right? He has um taken the runes from the Amaz and from the Vutrin. They have glamours now. So um, Marcus Vogel can glamour things. And then he has the multi-eyed crow, which is so creepy. Creepy. Oh, my God. So it's a it's a crow that has a, a pale green Marcus Vogel eye in it and then a bunch of other eyes all around it. And it's a spy and it can, you know, see everything. It's very Game of Thrones with the mini-eyed raven. And then he has the Scorpios, that are elongated. Um, I, I kind of like. I, I couldn't exactly. I wanted to know what you thought. How did you visualize them? Because obviously, when I think of Scorpio, I think of scorpion. Because you know, but I just that didn't seem that that fit. I picture them as praying mantises. <gasps> yeah. Yeah, like giant, <laughs> giant, multi-eyed <laughs> praying mantises that uh, with like a with a like a kind of curly, spiky tail. She describes them as like chittering. It's just like, oh, God, it's awful. God, it's so bad. Um, But he has and and before the the Mage Council is destroyed, uh, Marcus Vogel is showing everybody like these new things that he can do. And initially they're like, you can't mix these magics. He's like, I'm not mixing them. I'm consuming them with his, you know, shadow wand. She's just a horrific piece of shit. I hate him so much, but he's also very scary, right? Like this is, this could happen. It, uh, it, it it's and, almost happened, and, and, and it does happen. Well, <laughs> and and it's the catalyst in the Handmaid's Tale, right? They blow up the fucking government, and then they establish their own, and that's you know with the it's terrifying. It's terrifying. 
because this these stories have happened, are happening, or can happen again. Yes. And I think that's that's terrifying. You know, especially as a woman. I mean, there's so much intersectional components going on in here, not just for women, for people of different races, for people from different backgrounds, for different. It's 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 scary. It's very scary. Oh, my God. It's so scary. But again, it just this book just makes me want to fucking rebel and tear it all down and start over. It's just uh um let's talk about let's talk about Tristan because Tristan so this book is kind of a um uh, oh oh it's like a framework story, right? We have the prologue in the beginning and then we have part um, 1 through 5 and then there's chapters within each part. Right. So we we get uh we get Tristan and we get Tierney and we get Winter and we get their own POVs, which I love. And then we get Ellerin in first person. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, it kind of reminds me of, would it be fair to say Six of Crows? Like how you know whose point of view and where you are at the beginning of the chapter, because it'll tell you character mm-hmm. name, chapter name, then. And like month and, and month. place. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would say that's fair. Like, almost like like that part's kind of almost like a journal entry, but it helps you be like, okay, this is what we're going on over here. Yeah. Yeah, I found it very helpful. Yeah, so Tristan and Tierney are traveling in the East to the military, and um, Tierney is unglamored, right? She's gorgeous and blue, and we, we love that. And something that I found really interesting for Tierney is Tierney – is finally accepted as a water fae, right? She, um, you know, she's been glamored her whole life and then it's gone and she, uh, you know, gets a room with another water fae and she goes for training and she feels so welcomed and she claims the Vu River, the Vo River as her own. But then the prejudice of those people alienate her, right? She's like, and they're like, no Gardnerians, you know, they're all evil, all of them. And Tierney's like, fuck all wait a because minute she she since she was three she was adopted by gardenarians and she had like her and her brother because you know her brother is a water fay, and she you know there's so she she never felt accepted amongst gardenarians and now she's with her actual quote-unquote her actual people and she's not accepted by them because she's fighting she's like and, and I like that. And I can't remember if it was tyranny or maybe it was, I think it was tyranny. She goes, what makes us any better than what the Gardenarians are doing? If we're being so, um, so I, I don't know the word that I'm looking for. Help me out. <laughs> well, like she, she's saying like, Tristan, Tristan is my friend. He's a yeah. level five mage. He wants to fight. Why, why are you treating him like shit and like ostracizing him and bullying him? All he wants to do is fight. We have to be, we are stronger together and it will take all of us to take down Vogel and the Gardnerian system. And not all Gardnerians are bad and we have to accept everybody because that's the society that we're trying to like move towards we're no better than them right and yeah and tyranny 
Tierney's like, you know, I never fit in anywhere. So I'm just going to go talk to the Death Fae. And I like the Death Fae. He's I cool. like the Death Fae. He, and they're he, like, don't do that. And she was like, fuck you guys. I'm, mm-hmm. you, you guys lost out. You treated me like shit. Now I'm going to go with the only people who have been nice to me and my friend this entire time. And the Death Fae likes her because she, Tierney, has the Kelpies. And Kelpies are kind of a, a death kind of uh, magic. So, and, and Tierney says, you know, I'm not the rainbows and waterfall person. I'm the deep, dark, like black bottom of the river person. You know what part I really like that I could just visualize? Remember, because I guess every fae has something that calls to them. And she's like, the Vaux River is my Vaux River. But then she finds out the Southern fae, Fjordan, like Fjordan's about the Vaux River too. And she was like, nah, this is, this is going to be my shit. And he's like, oh, you think you can fight me? And she goes, bet. And she like, all the Kelpies come up and there was just like this, this wall of water from the river i i loved that part and at that point everyone was just like oh shit yeah the river's hers the river's the river's hers i just and then even after that she deuced out she was out (laughs) just i love her she was i love i really love that moment oh it's so good and we find out that through her connection with the river uh, we find out that the shadow you know vogel the shadow wand is encroaching that they have laid down iron spikes in the river to kill, you know, Kelpies and other magical things that live there. And it's really fucking awful. So tyranny is really important. I'm really excited to see where she goes and like what Mm -hmm. she does, you know. And then Tristan, sweet, sweet Tristan. For all who's not following, (laughs) Tristan is Ellerin's brother, one of her brother's. He's not, oh, and he's not, he has not been lupine. He's stayed Gardenarian. Yes. And because Rafe, Rafe is Gardener, or Rafe is lupine with Diana. Because he married Diana. Yes. Uh, but they are not in this book. No. So this is, which is, which is interesting. And I'm going to bring that up later. Um, so Tristan is in the military and he is being, very badly bullied he's being called slurs and they're trying to force him out and he won't go he's like no i'm i'm here i'm gonna help and i I don't care how you treat me and sweet sweet gay tristan i hope he has a thing with um the, with, the, with the the Vutrin that he's like really into, right? Yeah. He's like that is the most gorgeous man that I've ever seen. I really want that to and it's such like a I don't want to say throw away, but you know he's like I see you and I want something to happen there. But but we don't we don't get anything more with Tristan really with this book. No, we just get I think it ends when when Tristan is saying like um I'm going to go I'm going to go find my sister and I promise to bring her to you when I find her, you know. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's like, okay. <laughs> you know, he's not going to do that. Um, it, it's just like setting us up. But um, I, I love it. And I, I like seeing Tristan's point of view. And um, I, I thought it was really nice because we don't we don't get a lot of him. He's very uh, timid and quiet. And they say that in the beginning. He's been like that since he was a baby. Question with the fourth book, and not that we're wrapping up, we don't know much about it. Do we know if there's going to be, I mean, we can assume like Tristan and Rafe are going, do we know if Ellerin's going to appear or is it going to be like a, like a Tower of Dawn situation where we don't know, right? 
I haven't, I, nobody really talks about this book, these, this, this series. Um, well, shit, let me look real fast then. Okay, so it is The Demon Tide. It's out in September. The cover is purple and with a moon, it's very pretty. So it says, newly exposed as the Black Witch of Prophecy, Ellerin Gardner Gray is on the run, not knowing if she'll find friends or foes. With her fastmate, Lucas Gray, spoiler, either dead or in the hands of high mage Marcus Vogel, Ellerin knows only the chance of turning the tide of the coming war is to seek allies who will last long enough to not kill her on sight. We've got, it says, in the Eastern realm, the Eastern realm, we have Tierney and Tristan. Um, Tristan is fighting on two fronts as the most despised and least trusted member of the Guard. And Tierney's bond with Erethea's powerful river has exposed a danger even more terrifying than the looming war. Ooh. Powerful magic and a deadly legacy combined for the most explosive twist yet in the Black Witch Chronicles. I mean, sold, right? <laughs> right, right. And, you know, and we haven't even talked about this yet. Ellerin right now, you know, you just read the, the fourth book synopsis. Ellerin is not outwardly like they uh, the the Amaz did a glamour on her. So she doesn't look Gardenarian right now. She's of Elf Holland background. So she's like all in like silver and slate and elf elfish ears. So she does not look Gardenarian because they cannot have her looking like the Black Witch as she tries to build allies because right now there's just a preconceived notion with all of Gardeneria. And then also, like, everybody's after the Black Witch, so she cannot look like herself. And you you bring up a really good point that was kind of a throwaway line, and I want to see if you caught it. So when they are putting the chains on Ellerin to give her this glamour, right? Um, they're like, how how did this happen? Like, how did you get this glamour? And it's like, we removed it from somebody who was glamoured. He was glamoured as a Celt. We find out that that is um, Aislinn's baby daddy. And he is like a like a prince or something. He's like a high. I forgot that he he he's like he's not a Celt, but everybody thought. I remember that from the second book mm -hmm. that you find out that he's he's you know he's a glamoured fae or a, a prince like a fae prince or a, a prince a elf prince i can't remember right so yeah so it's, it's just really interesting kind of how everything connects so and i there is before i forget i'm sorry when i'm thinking of her being glamored and you know how she goes through that portal and and lucas tried to even go with her even though we know only one person could go through because that was mentioned but she goes through it because Vogel found them and he's going through the attack. Does he see that she has a different, she's been glamored or does he like, does he see her or no? A Vogel? I, yeah. So does like Vogel know that she, she doesn't look ordinary and she looks like Alf Holland. Yeah, I think so because he's got the, he had the eyes uh, in the Scorpios when she was glamored. And, and that's how he knew to get yeah. there because that, because even with her being in her glamour, she was in the glamour when her and Lucas, he was like, I would take you up against this mm -hmm. wall or whatever. And that's when everything saw her. So that's why I was like, I think, I think he knows her, her form right yeah. now. Yeah. I think he knows. And that's a really good point because I was thinking about that. That is really scary for Ellerin, Ellerin right? Like she, can't do a lot to prove that she is who she says she is without, you know, like she can talk and stuff, but she can't use her magic. Uh, the last time anyone saw her, she couldn't fight. She couldn't defend herself. She, 
there's not a lot she can do. And it's said that just normal sorceresses can't remove that glamour. That glamour has to be removed by like a special, like specific. Which also, like if we find out that Velasca Velasca has died, if she's one of the people, her and Chive, Chinam, Chinam, who's going to take it off? Like exactly, is it the, you know, like what if they're the only one? <sighs> Yeah, it's 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 a lot. It's ooh, oof. We haven't talked about the the sweet, unlucky little white dragon that has bonded himself to Ellerin. Yeah, but didn't the dragon come from Efri? Yes, but okay. he, remember he wanted to kill Ellerin uh, when Ellerin was in Lucas's house when the yes. assassin dropped through the ceiling. Yeah, and then... Oh, and that's how she found out that Efri... Okay, so part of Efri's little background is Efri um, is male, and he has certain powers, and the male version of Efri's species is not allowed in Gardeneria, so he is forced to dress and... Um, identify as a female i guess to like protect himself and that's the part where ellerin realizes she's like oh efri efri is a boy and like he's he's like they have to protect his identity even further isn't that kind of what happens it flips though with um Maisie Williams' character in season one doesn't she like cut her off her all her hair in Game of Thrones and mm-hmm. she can't like be a Stark so she creates this whole other thing yep to survive mm-hmm. yeah it's yeah it's very very similar very the similar. only thing I remember from yeah. Game of Thrones very similar and um Efri is uh, he's a geomancer and so he can control like Earth and stuff and and that is um part of like their royal line which is like a, a big deal. And so the, you know, and he's with the, the white dragon, which is, you know, unlucky in certain parts of the world, but very lucky in, I, I think, Amaz because with the dragon goddess. Right, right. And, and the, the, the dragon wants to kill Ellerin, but he senses the wyvern fire from Yvonne in her and binds himself to her. Um, and they will fight together. And I thought that was really very, very, very lovely, very sweet. So Jez, Earlier in the week, I told you that I had finished this book and I had forgotten a giant plot point. And when I read it again, I was like, holy shit. Oh, it's so good. And that plot point is all about winter. We like winter. And reminder, winter is, was Ellerin's roommate in college, one of her roommates, who was also part fae, part Icarol, um, or fae, elf, 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 elf. And she has this whole... Very, um, and we talked about it in the first book. She hates herself. She hates who she is. You, you know, she's she's been conditioned to think she's just because she's Icarol. She is just a terrible thing. She's a sin. She shouldn't exist. She has very negative thoughts. She has no self confidence at all. And even Diana's like, "No, you are a good person. You're here. This is blah blah blah." Now we find out that these thoughts come from a necklace that's kind of embedded into her skin, very much how, like, I imagined it the way Netflix did Shadow and Bone Alina's stag necklace. Like, it's in her collarbone. And Winter's just like, you, you find out 
that that's part of the reason, most of the reason why she has all these thoughts about herself. The entire society is mind controlled Mm -hmm. with these necklaces and, and they don't realize it. Well, like the, the like leaders and the priestesses realize it, but the entire society as a whole, they just think it's part of like basically like a sweet 16 kind of present. I mean, it happens to them when they're like 12 or younger. Yeah. Um, but then I thought that was such a special moment with the Amaz when I, I, is it Sage's daughter with the wings? No, because no, she has a son. But there's a child amongst the Amaz who is Icarol also. And the, the queen of the Amaz goes, Hey, come here. Like, what are you? Do you need to be quiet? She asks all these questions that, that Winter has always like doubted herself. And, you, it comes to just being that she's like, that's that necklace. And we need to get that off of you as soon as possible, because all those things you think about yourself are not true. And that was it was that moment that they realized that it it was just a bigger picture. Like they didn't like nobody realized this background until this other elf came to say, I seek um, sanctuary. Yeah, yeah, I seek sanctuary. Yeah. And so with with the with the queen and the little child like that you're right it's so powerful she's like do you need to be quiet you know, no. no should you be ashamed of your wings no it's just like and why oh. and she was like and why is that and she's like because i'm strong and i'm loved and the goddess loves me like mm-hmm. the goddess made me who i am like i thought that was just it was very it was a very sweet moment and it, because it was so innocent and pure yeah. Ugh. And so the necklaces, like what do the necklaces do? We we kind of find out that the necklaces suppress all emotion, um, desire, rebelliousness, um, you know, nonconformity. It's all. It's a way to make you quiet and complacent. Yes. And only the strongest um, it re- feelings of like rebellion or love are able to come to the surface and even then, that's kind of suppressed. It's because, muted, yeah. Because she finds out that her brother and her brother's friend is like Kale, Kale, C A E L, and Reese. I know it was like really R H Y S, which is like really threw me off in the book. Um, they had the collar, and they st- and she was like, "Oh my gosh, what does that mean for them? Like how much their emotions were still able to break through this." like suppression necklace basically and it was like that was winter's like aha moment for her and then it made her question her her relationship with ariel who we know died in the second one who who loved winter more than a sister and she says that because winter says like i love you you know ariel says i love you and winter goes i love you too and she goes no like in love with you um and she and Ariel died not knowing that that's basically now that we know that this necklace suppressed all her emotions like winter was coming to terms she's like maybe I did love her but I didn't know that that was an emotion that could be had um but they do know that she has a strength of braveness and and fight in her because she made it to this point I have always kind of wondered when I read these books, like, why are the Gardenarians and the elves such strong allies? Like, it doesn't really make sense, right? You're like, the Gardenarians want purity and they don't like the Fae, but they're with the elves and they have, they, you know, their allies. Is it because of the hate because of the Icarol? 
And the controlling. Yeah, I would find because of the controlling, the elves are very into religion and they're very into purity and chastity and, and, you know, they're very strict and rigid. So they are kind of the only allies that a Gardnerian could have. Right. And then you find out that all of that is because the the religious order of the elves is putting all these necklaces on everybody. And then so um, Winter's brother and Reese are uh, stripped of their necklaces and are shunned, right? And oh, and that's I forgot about. They are stripped because because they basically helped their sister. They were against they were against the elfish community, and they were like, "We're going, we're not going to kill you, but you are denounced from our community." Right. So they get um like in, pushed down into a pit into the into the mines with all the some some small some. I can't say it. Samogdalfar. Ooh, I said it. Samogdalfar. Um, to all, all of them and into the, the darkness and the mines. And I, you know, I could see that too. I, I pictured like a, like a white, like Roman arena and they're like kind of in the middle and then there's magic and, you know, the ground opens up and then, you know, he's falling down and, the it's described like the the sky you know it gets it's very blue and he's blinded by the sun and then it gets like less and less as the deeper he goes and then he lands and he feels fear for the first time since he was i think they put it on him when he was 11 because all these uh these people that have been shunned or have torches and are, are coming to them and then it cuts to black and you're like oh what happened and we still we really don't see them after that. Like we're we haven't revisited them, so we don't know what's what's going on down there. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Just just absolutely crazy. And then of course this this book ends with Ellerin um being found out by Vogel with um Chinam being killed and then uh you know, Velasca gets thrown through the portal, but she goes skewed and she's not where Ellerin ends up, and then the last thing that we see is uh, Lucas pushing Ellerin through the portal and uh, screaming her name as Marcus Vogel's uh, mage fire like explodes into his back. Right, that's the last we see of Lucas. So Ellerin assumes that he's dead. I don't think he's dead personally. I don't, I don't think, think he's dead. Yeah, I don't think Marcus Vogel would kill Lucas. I think he would make him into a weapon to go get Ellerin. Right. I think he'll use it. Uh, uh yeah, either a weapon. Or to lure Ellerin out. Yeah. Yeah. Like to like, like that's like, that's, that's the blackmail. Mm-hmm. And then Ellerin is, um, she's in Noylands where everything is purple and the, the cover of the demon tide is purple. And Ellerin takes down three Scorpios and she is, you know, capable and willing and ready to fight. And then it ends with her feeling Yvonne's, um, like call or whatever. So Yvonne, we are assuming is alive. And that that's the end of the book. I have two points. And my first point that I want to make is I have never really liked Yvonne. I don't like their relationship. And they, so Ellerin kind of goes through the stages of grief in this book when she finds out that Yvonne is dead. And it, it's kind of, you know, she, she works through it and, I, and that's fine. But they don't really know each other. No. Right. Like they, they spent a few months together in the kitchen, know, in the kitchen and like kind of doing heroic things. And they've kissed and they like slept, just like platonically slept in a bed together. And she's like, he was my everything. He was my whole world. But they didn't. It's like a crush. It's like an all consuming crush. 
She, I, I don't want to, I don't want to say that she didn't, I think she loved him. I do see the crush impact. I think it's that part of the relationship is this is the first time somebody like paid her any attention really. And she didn't know that she could be, and I, and I say that loosely because obviously like she had been like making out with Lucas since the beginning, but it was, it was very fleeting. It felt like, and I didn't, and I was frustrated with, and I, and I was still frustrated with her, this part of the book where Lucas has been pretty open with him wanting Ellerin since the beginning. And Lucas was only good for her when she needed something. And that bothered me. And then she would be like, like even at the beginning of this book, she was like, oh, she was, but I need help. And then she was like, and he was just being dismissive. Granted, we know that he was in character for something else. And he also had his guard up because every time she's coming around, she it's because she needed something. And, and, you know, and he, you tell, you could tell when he was, what do you want now? What is it? Like, let's not dance around it. And, and I, that really frustrated me. And then she would be upset that he was acting a little, you know, with his wall up. Fuck you. Like I would, what did you think was going to happen? I was really, I was really annoyed with her with that. Um, But I think like Yvonne, she was just kind of, she was into, was a love of a certain depth, but I, but I think with Lucas, it's deeper because they've also been through more and they're able to communicate. What did her and Yvonne communicate about? Just they that didn't they kind communicate of they, nothing until until the end of the Iron Flower, where where it was like just all out there because she snuck up on him at the lake and saw his wings. That's the only reason. Yeah. He wasn't going to tell her that no. she she just st- literally stumbled across it. Well, in a way, because she did follow him. But he wasn't going to tell her. He was gonna. He wasn't going to divulge that information. Yeah, I just and and the fact that she and Ellerin does say kind of over like like I fully gave myself over to Lucas. Like he and I you know, like together. And then she says later on, like I want to live with you. I want a life with you. I don't want us to be separated. And he's like, I have always wanted that. I really like that. And like in every, in every aspect, she's like, I don't want it to just be, and you know, and I think it was her way of, you know, going through to what you said, her stages of grief, because she was realizing at the beginning, she's like, well, you have me, Lucas, we're one fasted to the growth of, I want you in every way. I don't want this. I don't want to be with you just because we're fasted. I want to be with you because I want to be with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and that's kind of like a fake marriage trope, but it, it's not though, because it was never fake for him. Ever. It was never fake for him. And it, in a way it wasn't completely fake for her because she, she did have feelings for him. She did. I mean, at one point, you know, and you know that because she keeps going back and forth with, you know, like, and maybe that's just like some internal conflict with her because she, when she wasn't kissing, you know, even they didn't even kiss. So I can't say that because it was just like this emotion because they only kissed her and Yvonne only kissed once. Um, so when she wasn't hanging out with Yvonne, she was definitely hanging out with Lucas and they were doing a lot more than talking. So I, I, I don't I don't know what the where I was going with that. <laughs> but. Well, I just I just feel like they they've made it such a point to say that 
women are one fasted for life, right? Sage Gaffney mm-hmm. broke her, her fasting and she has horrific, um, scarring and like open <gasps> yeah. sores on her and her hands. That'll be there forever. And she right. says, you know, um, there's like ointments and, and like kind of spell works to make it less, but it's still there. And, you know, it's it, it, the fact that you say that because then everybody's calling, you know, she's already wand fasted to and throughout the whole book. She's already wand fasted to Lucas at the beginning of this book. And then everybody's going around saying, like, you were in bed with a cow. You were this. You were that. Blah, blah, blah. You're a whore. You're a slut. So but then she's she's like she felt like in rightfully so she had to defend herself and she kept holding up her hands she's like i didn't do anything like you guys have everything wrong like look at my hands her hands as the proof and when she would people didn't know what to do with the truth blaring them like glaring at them in the face to be like it's it's just so they just kept doing it because they didn't know how else to react uh so i don't know i just feel i feel like Yvonne, something, so obviously there's going to be some sort of like weird triangle situation, right? Like she'll, she'll be like, oh my God, in the next book, Yvonne, like, I thought you were dead. I love you. But like, I I don't know. Like, like, I'm just going to be so annoyed because I know that's where this is going and I'm not, it's there. The setup is there. I don't know if that's where it's going, but like, that's where it's going. Um, I, I just love Lucas. I just, I want that to continue. And it, it kind of sucks for Yvonne because this that's his mate for life. Yeah, yeah. So I could see it going a couple ways, right? Like the prophecy, I could see the prophecy totally coming to fruition. Like Yvonne being uncompromising and just wanting to destroy all Gardnerians, right? And Ellerin being like... Oh, like backlash? Like here I, here I was and... You like yeah. a scorned lover thing? Yeah, and Yvonne being like, "Well, y- like you're fucking wand fasted to Lucas, and because he never liked Lucas, and, right. and and you love Lucas, and I and then I could see Ellerin like trying to get Lucas back, and that con- being in conflict with Yvonne, and then the prophecy fulfilling itself that way, like a lovers to enemies type situation. Oh, which I would be down for because I am just not for some sort of love yeah. triangle. I, I don't want the love triangle. I And I would be okay with that. It's, you know, when relationships go volatile and then you mm-hmm. just like, you go from your best selves to your absolute worst selves. I wouldn't mind that. I can see that happening. And obviously, like I see Ellerin re, you know, going through what her grandmother did to Ivan or Yvonne's father. Yeah. And, and it, like, he oof. gave her no other choice. Yeah. And it could, you know, I, 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 I wouldn't I that would be interesting how that gets ironed out I mean I am I just don't want there to be a love triangle I want Lucas I will say it's interesting with all the di- with the, the diversity of the writing that Ellerin is like I can't say is wand fasted because we know wand fasting is only within Gardenarians but if she would stay within the Gardenarian culture Mm. And I and I'm team and I'm team Lucas. I'm just saying yeah. it from like it's interesting you have this whole series and that's how like the the main couple ends up. Yeah. Oof. Just objectively um, speaking. 
The second point that I wanted to make, and then that'll be all of my points, <laughs> is this. So there are a significant number of characters that really aren't in this book or that are in this book and then like fuck off a little bit. So Taryn and Sparrow and Aislinn and her maid and, you know, a few others are off on their own journey, right? They're on their own journey. And then we don't see Diana. We don't see Jared. We don't see Rafe. They're not, they're not in this book. So I, I was really curious to see, cause I know you love Diana, if you would be like invested. Um, and it really reminded me of Game of Thrones because everybody shits on book four because their favorite characters aren't in it. They're only in book five. It's a bridge book. Um, but if you, when you read book five in Game of Thrones and go back, you realize everything in book four is very important, right? you you just weren't interested because your favorite characters weren't in it. Mm-hmm. And, just from this conversation that we're having, I can see that you were like pumped in this book and that wasn't the case for you. <laughs> no, no. Um, I, I really like this book and I, and I think we probably addressed it in like one of the episodes, regardless if it was the first one or the second one, um, that you're, it's not just about, yes, Ellerin's the main character, but in a way, some, sometimes like some of these side characters feel like they're the main characters also. Like they all just play off of each other really well. Um, and it's kind of like when we do stuff with the inner circle where you're like, they're, they're, they're side characters. And then in a way, they're not really side characters because you want, you are invested in their stories. You want to know more, whether you like them or not. Um, or not, I don't want to say you like, yeah, you could say that with you the can say that. Um, you know, whether you like them or not, or they're your favorite or not, you still want to know more and what's going on. And that's what I felt like. I think it's the setup that's needed. We obviously know that Diane is an alpha. Um, that's going to play out. I mean, I think it was, I thought, I thought it was important. Like Rafe obviously is lupine at this point. So that's, that's going to be its own story and its own arc that we're going to find out that will play out because it is going to be about gaining these, these allies. Mm -hmm. Yep. So just like, what do you, what do you think? I'm, I'm invested, I'm invested with everything you share with me because I'm like, yes, another one. And then I'm like, yes, another one. And I just, the only bummer is now that w- whenever you get caught up on a series, then you wait. It's the waiting. <laughs> but this one's this one's not terrible because it com- the, the next one comes out this year. I'm excited. I think it, you know, I don't think we touched on it really. Um, the point that I, I really like the other point to add to everything that we're saying is let's remember that this is supposed to be YA. And this is just so like we've said it in previous episodes, like the importance of imagine having this shit when we were growing up. Like it's just it's very it might be heavy. It is heavy. It is necessary. And if we're feeling this way as women, like grown women, I really hope it's having the same impact with the the quote unquote target audience of a YA read. Uh, Yeah. Just the the message and the execution of, of this series, like, you know, we said it in our first episode for the Black Witch, like, it is a fucking gut punch, you know, to to wrap your head around this world building and, and every the racism, and the sexism and the, oh, it's terrible, but... There's, there's so the much classism, like yeah, every, like everything. everything, everything, but there's so many lessons that you can pull from it. And, uh, you know, the, just give, give me the fan art, please give me fan art. Give me, give me 
some something with this book. There just isn't anything. And ugh, yeah, I, I really want to see more people read it. I want to see it talked about more. I don't care where. I just want to see it talked about because it's it's important. It needs to be discussed. It does. It does. It needs to be discussed and, and not in a in a critical way. Yeah. Yeah. Not in a bashing way, right. but in a in a let's have a really fruitful discussion kind of way. And let's see how we can apply everything here to like a to like a world stage, um, because like the theme is kind of bigger picture uh, of this whole book. And of course, we're all about bigger picture. I'm here for it. So that's really what we got going on with this episode. Thanks for listening. We're going to keep exploring. We'll go from there. You can follow us on Instagram at Acafe Podcast, A-C-O-F-A-E. And we're both on TikTok as well. Acafe Laura and Acafe Jessica. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye.